video. All right, I have an intro written out. All right, Freedom Chasers, if you've ever felt held back by fears, anxieties, or that nagging imposter syndrome, today's guest is someone you need to hear from. After 15 years at the helm of a nationally ranked consulting agency, she founded MindFix Group. They're not about the Band-Aid fixes. They dive deep to uproot the core problems that high achievers grapple with. So if you're ready to move past mere coping and truly conquer your blind spots, let's welcome the transformational Aaron File to the show. Aaron, it's an honor to have you. Hello. It's nice to be here. All right. So let's broad strokes open it up. What is imposter syndrome? Because I guarantee you a large portion of my audience is suffering from it and they don't even know. Yeah. Imposter syndrome affects a large amount of people. Uh, I think, I forget, I wanted to bring the exact statistics. It kind of changes depending on what source, but it's something along the lines of like 88% of entrepreneurs experience it during their uh, journeys. And uh, one in five people in general will uh, deal with a pretty severe um, experience of imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome is the sense that you actually aren't what other people think you are. It's that you are a fake or a fraud or a phony or you'll be found out and that the success that you've achieved is actually, it's not there because of who you are. It was luck or circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. And somebody's chasing you and they're going to take it away one day. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> um, why do you think it's so common in entrepreneurs in specific? I think because hmm, that's a great question. I think a lot of entrepreneurs have the drive to succeed and do. Uh, and when they experience success, that is that comes from within, they start to question and they question how they got there. Um, I don't work as much with non entrepreneurs or non leaders, so I'm not as familiar. I know it's a common issue in the entrepreneurial world, but I think with the general public, the, their experience of, am I successful? Have I achieved great successes? It's not as, not as common. Okay. So you mentioned that we like the doing, do you think that's part of it? Um, I, I could, speaking from my own context, it's like, I don't celebrate the actual results of activities at all. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'll, as a real estate agent and investor, it's just like, it's just, Part of the process, I suppose. Like, I don't celebrate anything. <laughs> Do you think that's part of the reason why? It's it's common, right? If you don't, if we don't celebrate, we don't feel good when we experience success. We don't take it in. We don't take it, and we have the experience of I am doing. I, or I got to where I wanted to go. Then it it's not even a data point along our journey. It's just another day. There's no feedback loop to tell you, hey, that you're on the right track. Hey, this is what you wanted. Hey, keep going. Hey, this is because of what you did. If that feedback loop is not there. It's like you're working, working, working. You get to where you want to go and it doesn't even register that you've crossed a, a, a finish line. Absolutely. So how do I work on transitioning a what's next mindset, which is basically what that is. It's like I get a check. It's like, all right, go get another one to a in, incorporating a feedback loop that is more productive. Hmm. Great question. So it's interesting. Um, 
for so long, I was given this kind of general feedback of you should celebrate your wins. And I would hear people say that. And it's like, okay, that sounds great. What do you do? Do you write it down in the calendar? I wrote it down in my diary. Uh, I told some people about it. There, I checked the box. I celebrated my wins. So any any blog post or best friend, you know, at lunch advice you get is going to be celebrate your, your wins, have that be part of your cycle. But the challenge and the challenge of a lot of these issues that we run into that are tricky to solve is that doing something intellectually, checking a box doesn't bring with it a feeling, a felt sense. It's empty. It's like uh, saying, thank you. Thank you. I'm so grateful. But you're not actually feeling grateful. And there's there's that that difference between feeling something, feeling happy, feeling like I made it and getting to feel that and saying it or going through the actions to celebrate it or note it. And I think a lot of, uh, at least I can speak from personal experience and working with other people. Many of us have tried to celebrate our wins or tried to feel grateful or happy, but it's going through the motions because we were told we were supposed to, and it's checking the box. So I think the exploration gets to be how do we actually start shifting and feeling more things during our work days and our experiences instead of going through the motions. I love the way you answered that because I have struggled with this very issue and people have been like, you need to celebrate your wins, much like you just said. And it certainly felt like I was checking a box and I wasn't getting anything back from it. Um, so, I mean, it reminds me, it reminds me, I, for so long, especially when positive psychology came out, everything was like gratitude. If you focus on gratitude, you'll change your life. You'll be a happy person. And, uh, you know, they were talking about how the, the neurons will change in their neural networks and you'll just become a happier person over time, but you really got to stick to it and hold on to that commitment. And so I remember there was one day, maybe 10 years ago. And I said, I am going to keep a gratitude journal for a year. I'm going to stick with it. And every day I'm going to notice things that I am grateful for. And I'm going to list at least five things. I'm not just going to do one. I'm going big, five to 10 every day. And I remember come like month six, it was like changing the litter box for a cat. It was just like, okay, I'm going to go do my journal. And I'm going to write, I'm grateful for the water coming out of my faucet. I'm grateful for the roof over my head. I'm grateful for my friend, I'm grateful for the, and it, it, there was nothing, there was no connection. There was no feeling there. And I think that's where um, many of us will dive into personal development and trying to work on ourselves. And we follow the instructions or what we think are the instructions. But a lot of times we're cut off from actually having any felt experience. So then we go, that's just another thing that didn't work. Absolutely. Um, that makes a lot of sense. So I'm just speaking from my own point of view, like we're talking about feelings, right? And I, I feel like I'm better at empathy than sympathy, uh, which I think is common with people with ADHD. Um, but <laughs> if we're talking about feelings, I'm just trying to find a solution to my own damn problem here. <laughs> it's like, well, the easiest way to feel it more would be to attach somebody else to it. Um, <laughs> does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That's interesting. Um, so in terms of like, how do we solve 
for imposter syndrome. Okay, so we've talked about it. There's feelings involved. There's to-dos that don't really work. What I can share is what we have seen work for people you know, over the past half decade. Um, what we find works extraordinarily well is when we focus on subtraction. So what I mean by that is so many things out there are like, let's add more. Let's do more gratitude journaling. Let's uh, write down all the things that are amazing about yourself and feel that. And let's talk positively or let's do more repetitions. Just get up on stage more and speak more and then you'll feel better about yourself. It's more. Do more, more, more. What we have found is when you stop that and do the opposite, you see exponential results, extraordinary results. And people who have had imposter syndrome for years or decades uh, find that it's no longer a challenge. So when I say subtraction, what we have found is there are three primary root causes that lock imposter syndrome into place. And when you subtract these root causes, instead of trying to force imposter syndrome to change or go away, it just dissolves because you've gotten rid of what keeps it coming back and sprouting over and over. So the three things that we have found that keep imposter syndrome in place are number one, harmful beliefs. So many people have the beliefs, they start their journey and it's like, I'm a fake or I'm a fraud, or you must be an expert in order to uh, be exceptional, or you must be the best in order to deserve credit, uh, things like that. So there are beliefs and belief structures that are looping in the background of our mind. The second thing we find is uh, memories. There are memories that people have experienced where, say, you're in middle school and you got an A, but they found out you were cheating or you got caught cheating or um, you got praised, but you knew your big brother actually did the assignment for you. So sometimes there are memories from the past that kind of get locked in and impact how you feel about yourself. That's the second thing that we subtract. And then the third thing is stuck identities. So sometimes over our lifespan, we'll have an identity or multiple identities. I am a, um, that conflict with who we are. Maybe I'm a weak person. I'm a stupid person, you know, based on what happened to us in school, or uh, I'm an insignificant person. We have these identities and those lock so many aspects of our actions and our beliefs into place. So if you can imagine coming in and being able to clear out some of those memories, some of those beliefs about ourselves and loosen those stuck identities, suddenly we are able to see ourselves more clearly. We don't have all of that noise that every time we go into a situation then has us reacting in these similar ways where we start to doubt ourselves. Absolutely. I think that's a tremendous point. I think anybody listening here can benefit from self-reflection. I feel like that is the primary differentiator from our highest achievers like they tend to understand themselves more than anybody else um so i love how you just identified three very very important things that people should be reflecting on even if they were not suffering from imposter syndrome but also easier said than done these are all deep and complex issues so what would be the first steps to take to actually dive into these because it sounds like we need to be getting to therapy at this point <laughs> sure so Here's something that anybody can do. And this, I find this exercise, it's, I think it's like three steps. Anybody can do this on their imposter syndrome. And they can also do it on any other area where they're struggling in their life. Maybe somebody's like, I don't have imposter syndrome, but man, I, I'm really dealing with anxiety 
or I'm really dealing with uh, anger issues lately. And one of the reasons why we get stuck is because we begin to label our problems with these big sweeping general labels, like I have imposter syndrome and your experience may be very different than mine, right? You had said something right when we started about, oh, and somebody may come and take it away from me, right? The success. And I was thinking, huh, I don't have that experience. I wonder if other people do. Everybody's is slightly different. And so what we can do is start to get curious about our experiences and get more specific. So what you can do is take the label of what you're experiencing, say imposter syndrome. And what we get to do is let's turn this off as a label that we've put on ourselves and let's get curious about the actual pattern that we're experiencing. So we can ask the question, uh, what are we actually experiencing and when? So I might say when I am around other business owners doing X in revenue, that's my, you know, when I notice I start to feel anxious and my throat closes up and I have a hard time speaking. That might be my experience of what I'm labeling as imposter syndrome. But what I can do is I start to break it down and go, oh, here's a trigger. Here's how it impacts me. Here's how I feel and what I'm doing. And suddenly I can have wildly different conversations with myself and with others about, yeah, I got imposter syndrome too. Oh, you have imposter syndrome? We have both. We could have totally different experiences. You might be like, wait, what? I, I'm an extra. I love to be around other people. That, that's when I'm at my best. I just feel every time I go to write a blog post, that I shouldn't be telling other people what to do. And so I don't write. It's like, oh, that's your experience. So getting clear on your actual patterns and getting rid of these sweeping labels that put you in a box. And it's like, this is what I have. I'm going to have it. I deal with it. Everybody deals with it. We all deal with it. We can start to work on patterns. Patterns can be shifted. Patterns can be changed. Patterns aren't who you are. And that's really exciting. Suddenly you can go from I am this person with this label and that's how I'm stuck. And that's who I am too. You know, when I'm experiencing X, Y, and Z, this is what I experience. Yeah. I'm kind of going in weird directions here mentally. So you'll have to bear with me. I'll give you as much context <laughs> as possible. <laughs> okay. Okay. Weird directions. All right. So like you mentioned anxiety before, my brain is just kind of sticking there. So let me give you some yeah. context. I used to, I, I say this confidently, I used to suffer from what's called panic disorder. So I was in five car accidents, something like that. Maybe it was four, mm -hmm. I don't remember. Um, but what's important is my body did not like being inside of a car anymore. And I would have a panic attack whenever I was in a car, every mm -hmm. single time. Um, and this actually led me to a suicidal depression. And I promise you this will warm up. Um, <laughs> where I can't, I literally lost the world to live because to get to work, I would need to literally feel like I was dying for 45 minutes every day. That's a hard challenge to get up for every day. Um, but eventually my, my mindset shift that really helped me a lot is like, well, you want to die anyway. So this might be the answer to your prayer. So why don't you just go out there and do it? And really mm -hmm. like anxiety for me in the way I was able to overcome it, it's really, it's, I know this sounds so easy. It's like, you need to let go. Um, and that's really what it is. You need to let go because you can't control what you can't control. And the fact that you're trying to control what you can't control is what is making you anxious. So I don't know why I went there, 
and I said it. So what are your thoughts? <laughs> no, it's, I, I think what you're highlighting too is there are different ways out for different people. What works for you may be different than what works for someone else. And if there's anything I can share, it's to let people know that there is hope that they may try something that worked for one person. And if it doesn't work for you, that's okay. Um, like, had you come to me and said, I'm having these panic attacks, you know how I mentioned earlier, we have, we find there's three root causes for a lot of challenges. And one of them is memories. And so in our work, we'd go, okay, there's still a lot of static and charge around these memories and your limbic system can't tell that the original events aren't still happening. Like it's, you're getting into the car and it's triggering and reactivating the charge around the old memories. So had you come to us, we'd be, let's, let's decharge those old memories and let your limbic system, nervous system go, okay, I'm safe. You found that there was a way to negotiate with part of your mind and go, Hey, you want to do this anyway? Let's turn around and face it head on, you know? Yeah. And, and, and it's totally different, different methods, similar outcome. You were able to move through it. And so I think for people to hear these different options that are available to them and know that there's no one thing that works for everybody is important. So I appreciate your share and I'm guessing your audience does too. Well, thank you. Everyone who listens to our show knows Matt and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times you have watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. And the results prove this. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secret that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is why we have opened up a few one-on-one -on -one coaching slots with Freedom Chasers Coaching, where you can get a plan to financial freedom that is completely customized to fit who you are and where you want to go and most importantly, how you want to get there, where you can get a plan to financial freedom that is completely customized to fit who you are, where you want to go, and how you want to get there. The benefit of working with Matt and I is that we are interviewing between 5 and 20 successful people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten the inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We are able to work with you to pick the strategy that will fit the best and then help you create the custom plan and steps to take you quickly into financial freedom. The fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us, and let's get you on a straight-line path to freedom. Thank you. <laughs> let's get into the way your solution there, because this is actually similar to um, the way I view life in general. Um, you said discharge, so I mean, a lot of people think there's positive and negative charges to just about anything in their life. You know, you view it mm -hmm. something positively or negatively. Mm -hmm. I try to neutralize everything. Is that what you mean when you say oh. discharging something where um, I find balances in the middle? Um. Good question. <laughs> yeah. So when I use that word charge, um, I mean like a static charge, like an electricity or an energy. So if I think about when I was in high school, uh, I, I was strangled. I was assaulted in the middle of my high school history class. 
And for years afterwards, before doing any work on that, if you had shown me a photo or if I saw a guy that looked like the guy that did it, or I saw someone that looked like who had been in the classroom or the teacher that had been there or the big poster on the wall that it was nearby, if you had shown me any of those things, I would have like, my body would have a response. My body would be like, oh, it's happening again. Um, and there's a charge to the memory. Uh, there's still, it's not tied away and put away nice and neat where if you think about going to the grocery store the last time you were there, there's just no charge. It's just flat, right? And so some um, memories or experiences from the past, typically when we were feeling like we weren't safe, we were in danger, or we didn't get our needs met, you know, there we were under threat or um, something bad was going to happen. If we don't process it properly, there can still be a charge when our mind goes back to it or our body thinks that we're in a similar situation. So when you can dissolve that body charge, the electric charge, and have it stored away as a normal memory, just like going to the grocery store, then you don't have the anxiety or the panic or the anger or whatever those um, reactions are where your body thinks that old event is still happening. So it's not positive. It's not negative. It's literally like charged the way that there's an electric charge. Yeah. It's like neutralizing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Essentially mm -hmm. you're neutralizing it. And I could relate yeah. not so much to being strangled, obviously, sorry to hear that happen, <laughs> but um, much like you, when I was the last car accident was really the one that got me right. So like I couldn't drive by that location anymore. It became mm -hmm, something mm -hmm. I could no longer do. As soon as I even approached it, I get anxious. Um, yeah. So how would you go about neutralizing that type of static charge? Oh, great question. So uh, there are a variety of different ways that people work with traumas. Uh, at MindFix, we have two, two different ways that we have found to be quite useful. One of them... Uh, takes somebody through a whole series of questions that speaks more to the lower, the primitive brain. We go through stories, we ask silly questions and we get the lower brain to realize, Hey, this event is no longer happening because there's our brain can't tell the difference, like between something that happened in the past or something that's happening now, you know, how they say, imagine something and your brain can't tell the difference. It doesn't have a clock. It doesn't have a sense of time. So we ask a series of questions that get the mind to realize, oh, wait, this is not still happening. This is not in the past. This is not in, I am actually not in danger. I couldn't get back to that car if I tried. I couldn't be in that car right now, even if I did try. And it's these almost kindergarten level questions that asked over and over that speak to the part of the brain that's like, this is still happening. So that's one way. We found another way where we can um, go back and access the parts of us that got frozen and scared in those scary moments and through questions, uh, find out what those parts really wanted or needed. Like they needed to be cared for. They needed someone to tell them they were going to be okay. They needed something and bring that feeling into the body. And what we have seen, even though that seems almost simple or like a, a silly little kindergarten exercise, we have seen people who have been through the most horrific traumas and in a 10, 15 minutes, when we do this over and over and we take care of the parts that got frozen and that didn't get what they needed or thought they were in danger and we allow them to feel what they didn't get to feel, we have seen people who have opened their eyes and gone, because usually it's easier to do it with the eyes closed, uh, 
whoa, where I, I can think about that experience and there's no charge and it, it just dissolves it. So some very simple, like no hypnosis, no tricks, no equipment, just conversation. And previously, what's really interesting is previously, if you had asked someone 20 years ago, they'd say, that's not possible. And we're still running into, we've taken some of the work that we've invented and have been doing, and we're, we've gone to some different trauma uh, experts and we're like, that's not possible. So it's a very new world in terms of what people believe is possible, how quickly things can be dissolved. Um, and it's, it's an interesting exploration, but we have seen that work for a lot of people. That actually makes a lot of sense. And anybody with a similar issue to this, I'll say something that I have found helpful. It's to force yourself to look at the potential benefits that may have come from this. And there are benefits for everything if you look hard enough. I know it sounds terribly hard for a lot of situations, but for my car crash, I could come up with a hundred reasons that made my life better. I have to look very, very deep for them. <laughs> and you have to open up your understanding of things. It's like, well, I wouldn't have changed careers. And, and that might not have seemed like the right idea at the time, but it ended up better. Um, so hmm. forcing yourself to see the positive and a negative could neutralize that charge. Um, and then to get into what you just said a little bit more, it's like, and I hate to bring myself into this too much, but hopefully it'll help one person. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, I'm the type of person that doesn't understand my own feelings so well. So I don't know if that strategy would work very well for me. So what would you recommend to somebody who, like me, mm. gets their feelings vicariously through others? <laughs> mm. Oh, oh, my God. Incredible question. Oh, and very near and dear to my heart as someone who didn't understand my, like, just was, I was, uh, not raised to understand feelings, wasn't okay to talk about them, was never in touch with them. And then as I was going to build a business, there's no space for feelings during the day. You have meetings to do and people to take care of and assignments and all sorts of responsibilities. There's no space for feelings. And so uh, what's fascinating is when I started this company and we were looking to help people transform, there was a really interesting split. Some people would see life-changing results and move through imposter syndrome, procrastination, anxiety, fears, stuff they've had for decades sometimes in a handful of hours. And we're like, quick, this works. And then other people, it, it was, there was a lot of, there was resistance or something just wasn't quite right. And over time, when we were able to examine the data, what we found is that people who were more challenged to connect to their body sensations and their emotions struggled to have that quick lasting impact with the same processes. And it takes us back to, I don't celebrate. If you aren't able to notice the sensations in your body and notice your feelings, it will be empty. Right. And so what we have found is that the constant, there's a, there's a term called interoception. And it's becoming increasingly popular. So many people are great at exteroception. They're aware of everything that's happening around them. That person over there just walked in the door and this person is grimacing at me and what's going on here. And they see things around them. But then when it's flipped, what's going on internally? It's empty. And they, they don't notice their heart rate has increased. They don't notice that they're holding their fists tight or there's all this energy and they don't even know what to call it. And so 
when we run into people who um, are challenged, we let them know that it's actually just a skill. It's, it's a muscle that can be developed, no different than doing some bicep curls. With a bit of practice, people can become, most people can become more aware of their in, inner experience, what their body's trying to tell them, and what their emotions are. And when they spend a little bit of time and energy connecting back to themselves, their ability to shift, their ability to feel joy, their ability to change, their ability to do transformation work increases exponentially. Well, I felt that. Um, I know you're <laughs> You feel, um, you yeah. feel. <laughs> no, I mean, I absolutely know you're right. I know the word interoception, and I'll just ah. open this up. Anybody that's been listening to me since episode <laughs> one might know this, but most people probably don't. I'm actually bipolar, so interoception is something that we do not do well. Um, and it mm. comes from, like, I don't know when I'm hungry. I don't know when I'm thirsty. I don't know a lot of this stuff that normal people know. And mm-hmm. what you said was so on point there because – Obviously, being bipolar, that's manic depressive for those that don't know. Um, Mania is a part of that. And what I used to think was anxiety, um, I would be anxious, was actually just mania. It was a surplus of energy. I had so much energy and I had no idea how to label it, how to identify it. And simply Mm -hmm. doing just that, just having the knowledge of being able to label it correctly has tremendously changed my life. So I know you're absolutely on point there. It's really all I'm saying. (laughs) <laughs> uh, it, well, it, and I, I, I'll admit I'm not an expert on bipolar and I have seen people who have really struggled or who have, you know, I was born this way, been able to make progress in this arena through some practice. Even if you, if someone may not have the full capacity, being able to make a small bit of progress and just name or notice certain things through intention can make a big difference and go a long way. Absolutely. Um, you're definitely right about that. Um, so let's talk about some other things. Um, okay. Talk about procrastination <laughs> let's do it. Bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, procrastination is also an issue for almost every entrepreneur at some level, right? So they're either mm-hmm. they're putting things off they don't want to do yet or they're afraid to do something. So let's go through number one. If somebody is putting off something that they don't want to do, what would be a great strategy to alleviate that problem? Mm. Well, it's interesting. Um, I'll pause and say that when it comes to strategies and tactics, I'm probably not your girl. Like that's where all the books out there and the blog posts are like, do this, do this, do this. And anybody who's tried them knows what how good the strategies work. Like that's why it's still flipping issues because people read strategies and try to apply it. Uh, my, the way that I approach my, my team and I approach these are you're procrastinating. There's a reason. If we get rid of the reason, whether it's fear or beliefs or a memory or your identity, and we get rid of those things, then the procrastination dissolves and you don't procrastinate. We've watched people who have gotten rid of beliefs about, you know, if I show my, if I show my true self, I will be uh, punished or I have an identity of a lazy person. And we did, we dissolve some of these issues. And then suddenly the next day they wake up and they're like, cool. I, I just got through my entire to-do list for the last year. So it's more of um, 
again, I don't have those surface level hacks and tricks to try and get you to overcome procrastination for a couple of days and then it stops working. Like uh, we, we definitely go to the root cause of let's find out what your unique reason for procrastination is because 10 people might have it, but they all have different reasons for why they do it, which is why any one strategy may work for maybe two or three people. But if we all have different reasons why we're procrastinating, anything I throw out is not going to work for a lot uh, of humans. There are, uh, there's, I can share for those who are like, that's not helpful for me, that there's a lot of research coming out uh, related to dopamine and being able to balance and work with your dopamine levels. And um, that might be something for people to research and look into that can help a bit. Uh, but uh, I'll just pause. I don't, I don't have any good hacks or tips. I'm like, let's get rid of the reason why you're doing it. And you don't have to do any strategies or hacks then uh, anymore. Absolutely. 100%. There's no <laughs> hack or trick that will accomplish any long-term goal that you really want to achieve. Right. I mean, um, like to say success is internal is not external. And that's really on, on almost every level um, because you need to understand yourself if you want to fix whatever problems you have, <laughs> because the problem is the person staring you in the mirror, unfortunately. Um, so it's a matter of diagnosing the problem half the time and then figuring out the solution is the next step. But I mean, diagnosing the problem correctly is often the hardest step. So let's talk about fear then. If somebody's having a problem procrastinating due to fear, um, let's not look for the simple hack. Let's talk about how to actually diagnose what's actually wrong and then maybe start to discover how to mm. fix that problem. Okay. I guess I can repeat the, the, the two points I can bring things back to is if someone's like diagnose me or diagnose what the issue is, I would say, let's not put some label. Let's go back to that practice from earlier. Let's, what is the pattern? Let's get really clear on what's actually happening when it happens and what you're feeling. Uh, because you might say I have a fear of success. It's like, do you maybe, or is it fear of failure? Let's just talk about what happens when it happens and how it's impacting you. Let's get a really clear pattern statement. Once we're clear on the pattern, like I am fearful that if I share who I truly am on social media, I will be ridiculed and people won't like me. Cool. That's clear. That tells me what you're fearful of. That tells me what's, when it's happening. It tells me uh, what you're concerned about. Then I would say, let's go and search for the reasons why you have this particular fear. Let's explore the beliefs. Let's explore the, any memories that may be related to it. And let's explore any identities that you have about what kind of person you are. And let's begin to systematically dismantle it. Maybe it takes an hour. Maybe it takes six hours. I'm not quite sure. But if we break those pieces down, what we see is someone who has shown up with fear each day will uh, wake up the next day and either the fears decrease significantly and it takes less effort to push through or the, the fear is gone and they're not aware of it anymore. And I suppose it can be as simple as that if you put the work in, <laughs> but it's not always mm. the case. Um, right. So let, let's, let's get into self-sabotage a little bit. So sure. Um, I would love to ask this question in the context of, I guarantee you there's somebody out there listening right now that is self-sabotaging frequently and they have no idea. Um, <laughs> so I'm just curious of the people that are oblivious to their own um, <laughs> shortcomings, I suppose. Um, but like, how would you begin to identify that, I suppose? 
if you're self-sabotaging? Yeah, you have no idea. I just know this huh? person's out there. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I guess the question is, does this person actually want to know that they are? Do they have the curiosity <laughs> to be exploring their internal world and their actions and behaviors? Um, be what it is about that. That's a good uh, question. Mm -hmm. Well, in terms of identifying it, there's no like, there's no one particular thing to look for. I, I would think if someone's curious, am I sabotaging myself? My thought would be, let's examine where you're not getting the results that you wish to see in a certain area of your life, family, or friends, work health and then let's examine the actions that you're taking or how you're showing up in that realm as it relates to something that you're not getting some place you're something you're not achieving uh you know i'm just not losing any weight hmm. okay well let's let's take a look at that and um you know i i knew someone once who was like i having that problem really frustrated they were losing weight and she was she had the identity of a healthy person. I'm super healthy. I eat at all these restaurants. I make sure I have organic beef and I, I don't do pesticides or GMO. And I visited with this person for three days and watched that they had dessert after every meal, dessert in between meals, and then a couple desserts <laughs> in the evening, right? And so, but there wasn't that awareness or the honesty with themselves. And I was, and I would say that that's an example of self-sabotage is when we overlook or have a blind spot into uh, an area of our life that we don't necessarily want to see. So looking for it can be really tricky uh, because by definition, we're, we're not seeing something we're doing. And so my thought is the way to, to, to identify that or uncover it would be start with where am I not seeing results and then maybe journal or get really honest with yourself and ask yourself the questions. How am I showing up? What am I really doing? Like, let me track my, what I'm actually showing up and ask myself after everything I write, is this the real, is this the truth? Am I being honest with myself? And I, I think that could be a good, good place to start. Absolutely. I think that was a great answer to that question because obviously cognitive dissonance is a thing. Um, so <laughs> yeah. tracking, I think is a great way to actually have a kind of a third party opinion of what you're actually doing. Like for this person that wants to lose weight, mm. track calories in and calories out. That's a good place to start. And if you mm. have a deficit for X amount of time, you could reverse engineer it. It's like, oh, what, that maybe that's a time to look into things. Or mm. maybe you're eating more than you think. <laughs> yeah. It could be as simple as that. Um, absolutely. Um, so, Aaron, if anybody wanted to reach out to you in regards to mindset, fear, procrastination, or anything like that, what would be the best way for them to get in touch? Well, they could follow me on Facebook. I'm the only Aaron file there. They could go to our website, which is mindfixgroup.com, or they could just send me a, a private email, and it's Aaron, E-R-I-N mindfixgroup.com all right there you have it everybody um aaron file thank you so much for giving us a glimpse into your life and into your business and and to those of you out there chasing freedom freedom is accomplished one action at a time 
So take the information that we just gave you and start to think about your belief patterns, your memories, and the identity that you have. And then start to explore solutions to those potential issues. And then tell somebody you know that will help hold you accountable. And before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. So thank you for tuning in. And we will catch you on the next episode. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 